Father, thanks for the opportunity to be together this morning. Thanks that you're present with us by your spirit and your word, and we pray that you'll speak to us. Amen. A few months ago, I was um, captured by a status update that my friend had put on their Facebook page. Um, I thought I'd read it to you. This is, this is what it, she said. Uh, almost three years ago, we welcomed two little people into our family. They were ours from, the very, from that very moment. But as of today, 1,089 days later, we are now officially and legally able to call them our children. No words can describe how thankful we are for the blessing of a son and a daughter. They are precious gifts from above, forever loved, forever treasured, forever ours. Happy Adoption Day, Callum and Alyssa. Hopefully you can see why that sort of captured my attention and my heart. And it actually provoked me to want to know more. So I sent my friend a message um, saying, oh, can you tell me more about the experience of adopting uh, children? And so I'll just read a little bit of her response to me asking that question. Uh, she talks about how it was particularly um, significant for Callum, who was a bit older, to understand the significance of being adopted. She said, to be basically parentless and familyless, and then to be given the gift of parents and family has changed his life forever. He never knew true love or security before us. He was alone and had to be fend for himself. We are made for close and secure relationships. We need family to be loved and accepted no matter what. Last week, we got the kids' new birth certificates with their new names on them. Callum decided to stick his above his bed with a post-it note on it that says, Callum's birth certificate, very special to, to me. There's something that's very powerful, isn't it? Uh, to hear that story of adoption. And there's something powerful about families adopting children. You'd say, actually, it is a, a powerful act of unconditional love. And why is it so powerful? Well, because it means it brings to the children privileges and rights they didn't have before. You could say it's an act of rescue and ransom. It gives permanent status and identity. It gives security and hope. And so no wonder it's a powerful act of unconditional love. How much more so the adoption of us by God into his family that is also, and more significantly so, a powerful act of unconditional love that also gives rights and privileges, rescue and ransom, permanent status and identity, security and hope. God says this to us in his word in 1 John 3, 1, See what great love the Father has lavished on us 
that we might be called children of God, and that is what we are. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we might be called children of God, and that is what we are. Uh, in his book, Knowing God, J.I. Packer has a chapter on adoption in Christ. Uh, Knowing God, by the way, the best Christian book ever written. And you think, well, how would I know that? I haven't read them all. Well, from my humble opinion, I think it is. Well, let's say it's a really good book anyway. This is what he says about adoption. If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity... Find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means that he does not understand Christianity very well at all. Not that he doesn't understand Christianity, but he doesn't understand Christianity very well at all. See what he's saying. The, the primary way that we are to think of ourselves as Christians is as children of God. The primary way we're to think of God as Christians is as God our Father. So I want to spend some time thinking about this for ourselves this morning by looking at this short passage in Galatians. And you know, may well know the letter of Galatians. Uh, Paul's written to this group of Christians who have been living as Christians for a little while, understood the gospel of Jesus and what it means for them. But somehow they've been distracted, bamboozled by a group of people who are saying, yes, believe in Jesus, but you have to add something to it as well. And Paul is so strong that even at one point in chapter 3 he says, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? What are you doing? And so at this point in the letter, in these verses we had read this morning, it's really the high point of what Paul's saying. So let's go back and have a look at it under the first heading of you are children of God. Let's go back to chapter 3, verse 26. So in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. In my NIV here, which is the new translation, the new NIV, they've changed the phrase sons of God to children of God. And it's a mistake. Well, not for them it wasn't a mistake, but it's a mistake because the phrase sons of God is there on purpose. They're trying to be more inclusive, but actual fact, we lose something in shifting from sons of God to children of God. Because sons of God is actually a technical phrase that Paul intentionally uses. And you think, sorry, if, if you're a female here thinking, hang on, so I'm meant to think of myself as a son of God. Well, if that's awkward, just think of us blokes who have to think of ourselves as Christians as the bride of Christ. It's kind of, you know, fair's fair. And you think, if, if you think it's kind of Paul being typically Paul, 
you know, and whatever that means, actually, Paul's being radically subversive in saying that men and women could be sons of God. See, in those days, it was only the sons, the, the eldest son, actually, who would get the inheritance of the family. And if you didn't have a son, you would go out and get a son. People would, the families would often adopt a son around the age of 15 or 16, so they had someone in their family who they could give the inheritance to, because it couldn't be passed on to a female. So they become this, the son of the family, which meant they then got all the rights and privileges to the inheritance and to the family. So what Paul's saying here is, if you come to faith in Christ, actually you become the son of God with all the rights and privileges of the family of God. The rights to the full inheritance, if you like. So Paul's saying we, we can be the son of God, we can be the, a child of God. And so it's no wonder that he says in verse 27 then, so we are all one in Christ Jesus, in Christ Jesus, because we have the same status to be called the son of God. No race, no class, no gender is a barrier to being in the family of God. Obviously, those things aren't kind of done away with, but they're not a barrier to being in Christ. It doesn't mean you're any lesser or greater. I grew up in the Salvation Army. And if you know the Salvation Army, they do um, have a ministry to people, who's, to, to, to people who kind of don't tend to find themselves in you know, typical churches. And so uh, in my family, somehow uh, we uh, became friends with, or he became friends with us, uh, this man whose name was, I remember, is Andrew. And when I was a teenager, uh, for periods of time, Andrew would come and live with my family through his connections with us at our church. Now, Andrew was a very different uh, guy to me and to my family. Andrew who was someone who had spent some time in jail. Andrew had been addicted to heroin for a while. Andrew, has, a lot of his body was, was covered with tattoos in a time before tattoos were trendy and even young mums had them. And that was mostly because he was friends with the guys who owned the tattoo shop in King's Cross. And whenever he went to visit them, he would get some of his tattoos uh, kind of coloured in or added to. And Andrew was, was a, a very tough guy, which compared to me isn't hard. But one day we caught him in the bathroom cleaning his teeth with Ajax powder. Now, it was very effective. It didn't taste very good, but it was very effective. He assured us that we should try it for ourselves. Another day, uh, he, was, he was very good with cars. He could do anything with cars, actually. And one day, he had a, a car under our carport, and he was putting a new motor in it, like just on his own. Now, for me, that's a bit mind-blowing, because I'm useless when it comes to anything mechanical. But he had the motor on a hoist, and the motor slipped off the hoist, and he had his hand in the way, and the motor fell on his hand. Bang! Oh, even I felt the pain. 
But he sort of just lifted the hoist up, sort of shook his hand off, and just kept going. He was just a, an amazing, tough, resilient survivor. I remember once he was sitting at our dinner table, and we'd had dinner, and then my mum served up dessert, and he was getting into the dessert, and he, he looked up, and the jail he'd been in was called Pentridge. And he looked up in the midst of eating his dessert and looked at my mum in the eye and said, this food is nearly as good as Pentridge food, and then kept, kept eating. Now, I think he thought that was a compliment, but I'm not sure my mum thought it was a compliment. <laughs> but he was welcomed into my family. Uh, there was a period of, of the time he was living us with us. It was about a month, and he had this job uh, that involved him having to get up very early uh, to get to the ferry, to get to his work. He wasn't very good at doing that, so my dad used to get up at five o'clock every morning, wake him up, make sure he got ready, and then drive him to the ferry to make sure he got the ferry to work. Every morning, five o'clock. I mean, my mum and dad treated him like they treated me. They treated him like a son. He was welcomed into the family. You know, they, you would say they went the extra mile for him. I mean, I don't probably know half the things they did for him. He was welcomed into the family as a son. And so we are welcomed into the family of God so we can know that we're children of God. And it's very clear, Paul's making it very clear that we're not in the family of God on the basis of any rule-keeping or anything we do, making ourselves good enough, coming to church. No plus, no Jesus plus, but being in Christ. The paragraph, verses 26 to 29, is what you'd say, full of Jesus. It's easy to work out the, what's important when you're reading something by what's repeated. So how about I read these verses and you try and work out what's the most important thing in this verse, in this paragraph. So in Christ Jesus, you're all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptised into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you're Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Anyone worked out what's the most important thing? I don't know why that's only the kids have to be interactive. You, you, happy to be, for you to be interactive or even put your hand up for a question. Christ, that's exactly right, Jesus. I mean, it's a Sunday school answer, but it's the right answer here. It's Jesus, Jesus Jesus and in him alone that makes it possible for us to be called children of God. In fact, Paul says it's like we're clothed with Christ. I love cycling and you would have noticed groups of cyclists I'm going around Sydney these days and you would have noticed probably with those group of cyclists, cyclists tend to be dressed in the same way. It's kind of the kooky thing we do. I joined a cycling group and, and they had their own kit it was basically a free advertising for the guy who ran the group, who owned the cafe, and the name of his cafe is plastered all over it. And for a while, I didn't quite really belong to the group, even though I was riding with them, because I didn't have the kit. I think 
they, were, they, they probably would have eventually bought me the kit, so I, I did belong, but eventually got it for myself and I started riding with the kit as like I had a sense of belonging because I was clothed in the right kit. Paul's saying we have a sense of belonging because we're clothed in Christ, in his robes of righteousness, and that's how we belong in the family. So do you see yourself as being adopted? Do you see yourself as a secure son? Do you understand yourself as having faith in Christ that brings you into the family of God? Now, Nets, we want to look at the fact that we're no longer slaves but sons, no longer slaves but sons. Let's go back to chapter 4, verse 1. What I'm saying is that as long as you... As long as an heir is underage, he's no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. The heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time is set by his father. So also when we were underage, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. We were slaves, Paul says before we were children of God. We were slaves. And he uses the analogy of a child in a house who's underage, which means they have no claim on the inheritance while they're underage, as a minor has no claim. So no rights to it. So Paul says, essentially, they're in the same status as being a slave. You have the experience as a slave. He might have an inheritance because he has no access to it. He might as well not have the inheritance like a slave. And it's nearly stronger than that, isn't it? You, you were slaves under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. You think the average person in Australia, in no way would they be thinking themselves as a slave. Probably before you were a Christian, there's no way you would have thought of yourself as a slave. In fact, what's really celebrated these days in our culture is freedom. No one can tell me what to do, what to say, or whatever. It's, it's freedom. But, but it's actually a wrong use of that word freedom. It, it should be just, we want autonomy. Because as you think about freedom, freedom is living within the bounds that you were created to live in. Living in the environment in which you were created to live in. I mean, the obvious picture to talk about is the picture of the, the, the fish in the, in, the, in the bowl, the goldfish bowl, as, you know, as we know it. As long as the fish is swimming around in that bowl, they're truly free. Imagine if the fish, old Nemo, thought, I'm jumping out of here. I'm going to express my freedom and jump out of the bowl so I can have true freedom. What will that mean for the fish? Death, exactly. Death is not true freedom. It might be autonomy, but it's autonomy that leads to death. And so, yes, we might think we're free by breaking out of all the bounds God created for us to live within. But actually doing that 
only brings death to ourselves spiritually. We're actually enslaved before we're in Christ. And then there's an amazing small, small word in verse 4. It starts verse 4, and it's one of the most significant words in the whole Bible. But it marks a change that's happening, something significant. This is what you were, you were slaves. And what does Paul say? But when you got your act together, when you stopped disobeying, when you came to church, and he doesn't say anything like that, does he? He says, but when the set time had fully come, and look, listen, listen to where all the action lies, God acted, didn't he? God sent his son. You were slaves where you could do nothing about your situation because slaves can't get out of slavery. God acted so you could be free. God sent his son. And then Paul outlines the qualifications of this son that qualified him to make you a child of God. Born from a woman, so he was a man, so he could redeem men and women. He kept the law, so he could redeem those lawbreakers. He kept the law in a way that we didn't and couldn't. He was God so he could redeem men for God. God acted to free us, truly free us, by sending his son Jesus. As I said, I'm a father of three daughters. And so that has determined the kind of movies I've watched and watch regularly when they were growing up. Does anyone want to have a guess at sort of the movies that I might have had to watch? What was that one? Chick flicks, yeah, whatever they are, yeah, exactly. Disney, Disney yep. Yeah. Uh, one of the movies that was on high rotation is the movie um, musical Annie. Some of you are probably, unfortunately, now singing this song in your head. It's a hard knocks life. If you don't know the story of Annie, it's the story of Annie who lives in an orphanage with lots of other children. And the lady who's uh, in charge of the orphanage just makes the orphans endlessly clean for the sake of keeping them out of her hair. And then one day, of course, a, a multi-billionaire comes along, Mr Warbucks, that's right, and he wants to take in an orphan. So he takes in Annie. And there's a scene that that's roughly goes along these lines. She, she comes into Mr Warbuck's billionaire house. And of course, there's a, there's a maid, there's someone who looks after the house. And she says something like, you know, where do you want to start? And by Annie's response, it's as though she thinks, oh, where do I want to start? Which room do I want to start cleaning in? Because that's what you do in houses. That's not what she meant. She meant, where do you want to start? Enjoying the freedom you now have in this new status. But she hadn't had the mindset changed, had she? She was still thinking she was an orphan so that she was going to still live like an orphan. 
I think sometimes we live still as slaves. We've, we've, we've forgotten we're no longer slaves, but we're children of God. We've been not only justified, so that God looks upon us just as if we've never sinned and just as if we've always obeyed God, but actually have been adopted into God's family. What a great privilege. We've received the full rights of the sons of God. So we no longer relate to God as our judge over us, but as our father. So let's think about that now, because finally, by his spirit, we cry, Abba, Father. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave, but God's child. God sent his son to give us the status of sonship. He sent his spirit to give us the experience of sonship. Jesus secures our sonship by his death. The spirit assures us of our sonship so we know we are secure. What is the experience of the spirit in our lives as Christians? What is the experience the Spirit gives us, enables in us. His work is to remind us that we are God's children so that we cry out, Abba, Father. We cry out, Dad. We, we can address God in the most of intimate ways and it's a great privilege. A friend of mine dying at a church that I was at soon after he retired, and at his funeral, his son got up and spoke and, and shared some reflections on his dad's life. And one of the reflections he shared was that around the age of 15 or 16, when you know, teenage boys tend to get a little bit sure of themselves, he started to call his dad by his first name. So instead of calling him dad, he called him Mike. I mean, this guy also had a bit of a kooky kind of... Um, practice as well because he went to this private school where the boys used to call each other their nicknames were their mum's name so his mum's name was Marg so his nickname was Marg so when they rang up to talk to him they'd say oh is Marg there and when his mum came on the phone they'd say oh no sorry we meant Will <laughs> when he, he started calling his dad Mike and his dad let it go on for a while and then after a while he sat his his dad sat him down and had one of those father-to-son chats and just said, look, I've noticed you started calling me Mike and then talked about the fact that, well, they have a unique relationship. Actually, as his father and him as his son, they had a unique relationship that they had with no, no one else. And then, in fact, it was actually a privilege that he could call him son and Will could call his dad, dad. And it had a profound effect on him and reminded him of his relationship that he had with his father, like he had with no one else and could have with no one else. And so with us, we have a unique privilege to have God and know God as Father, so we can call him Abba Father. You might have heard of the book called I Dared to Call Him Father, which is a, a book about the story of a lady who um, converted from being a Muslim to being a Christian. 
And one of the things that she had the experience of, of changing in her life and her heart and her mind was the experience of calling God Father. There's a very significant moment in the book where she describes a scene of her actually trying to pray to God and just articulating the words, Father, oh my Father. Trying to get that experience to be natural as it wasn't natural to her. As you may know, there might be 99 names for Allah, but there's no name of Father. It's the unique privilege we have as Christians. And she, she came to call God Father and how it meant she was as, he was as real to her as kind of the floor she was kneeling on. And how you know, for 40 years she'd known God as, well, as if he was unknowable and distant. But all of a sudden he was close and personal. So do you find yourself going to God as Father? Do you talk to him like a child to a father? If adoption of a child is a powerful expression of unconditional love that gives rights, privileges, rescue and ransom, permanent status and identity, security and hope, how much more? our adoption by God in Christ. Do you find your identity in knowing you are a child of God, in knowing that God is your Father? I have this habit, often when people ask me in the morning how I'm going, so I might go to the cafe and buy coffee and the person on the counter says, oh, how are you going today? And one of my habitual responses is, I'm vertical with a heartbeat. It's kind of reducing it down just to the physical. You know, there may be other things not happening or happening that I don't want to happen, but at least I'm vertical with a heartbeat. But it's not true, is it? That's, that's not the full picture. I mean, that's true to an extent, but there's a fuller picture. There's a greater reality, unseen reality, that's true about me in Christ. I'm a child of God. What could be better than that? Whatever's happened, whatever will happen. Yes, might be difficult, but what will help me, what will carry me through that, knowing I'm a child of God. And in fact, being able to call on God as Father in whatever's happening and will happen. In his book, in the chapter on adoption, Jaya talks about Joe Packer says, you know, what can we do to get this truth into our heads and our hearts? So it's, it's the thing that prompts and controls our worship, our prayers and our, our whole life. And he talks about six things we can say to each other or say to ourselves as we wait at the bus stop, as we get up in the morning, as we go to sleep at night. He says, these are the six, six things you can say. I am a child of God. God is my Father. Heaven is my home. Every day is one day closer. My Saviour is my brother, and every believer is my brother and sister as well. I'm a child of God. God is my Father. Heaven is my home. Every day is one day closer. My Saviour is my brother, 
every believer is my brother as well. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the immense privilege it is to be known by you as your children because we are sons of God. Father, thank you for the immense privilege it is to know you as Father and to know and be convinced that we are your children with all the rights and privileges of a child of the King knowing that we've been rescued and ransomed through the death of Jesus, knowing that we have permanent status and identity in him, and knowing that we have security and hope. And thank you, Father, that's through your grace expressed to us in Jesus' death for us. Not based on our performance, but on his who fully obeyed the law. Help us to live each day controlled by the thought that we're your child and you're our father. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.